You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. picked up on the fact that this is not James Ingram singing. This is Linda Ronstadt. James kicks in in a moment here. This song has been a huge part of the Marshall family. It's on part of uh, Kenny Loggins' Lullaby CD. Have a listen. Beautiful tune here. Somewhere out there Someone saying a prayer That we find one another that big somewhere out there. There's lots of good music out there by this gentleman. He is the man. Music icon, multi-Grammy award winner, and back-to-back Oscar nominee James Ingram has inspired and touched the hearts of billions. It says millions here, but I think it's billions. Performer, singer, songwriter, composer, arranger, producer. In 2009, James returned to his roots with the release of his first complete inspirational CD entitled Stand in the Light. Inspired by the plight of Hurricane Katrina victims, Stand features new works as well as his legendary Grammy collaboration with Michael McDonald, Yamo Be There. I was down at Saddleback Church a couple of weeks ago, and James came out on stage and absolutely smoked the joint up. I guess I probably shouldn't word it like that. <laughs> With that song, Yamo be there, and he joins us today, James Ingram. How you doing? All right, how you doing, Drew? It's been far too long. Do you remember how disgusted our wives were at our behavior? They were disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good to hang with you. Very rarely do I meet someone as uh, insane as I am. So welcome to the camp. Oh, thank you very much. That's a compliment. <laughs> Growing up singing background and playing guitar in the church in Akron, Ohio, I, I think about Bernard Lawson, who was the lead singer in your old group. But it wasn't Bernard Lawson that was singing just once at the Grammys and trembling like a brother in an L.A. county lineup, was it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was an unbelievable moment for you. That must have been so surreal, James. Well, the thing was, I was just a musician, so for me to go from a musician to doing a $50 demo called Just Once, it turned my whole life upside down because I didn't realize I was a singer. I, mean, I know I could sing a little bit, but I didn't. I wasn't even trying to be a singer. I bet most people think that your big break was singing just once, that $50 demo for Quincy Jones. But didn't it all start clicking when you were playing the keys behind the master, Ray Charles? No doubt about it. That's when the Lord had blessed me with my prayers in terms of what I really wanted to come out here and do, you know, as a musician. And a musician that can't read, still can't read. Yeah, Quincy Jones told you so many years ago to forget about learning to read music until you were out of the industry. Looking back on that piece of advice, you, you think that was a good move? Yeah, well, I understood what he said, because he said, um, for me to start reading now, after all these years, he said, you have your own personal stop point, and if you start studying theory, then it's, it's going to change things for you. Yeah. Did you and Ray Charles stay in touch over the years, or, or not oh, really? yeah. Yeah, because see, Ray Charles and Quincy, they go back a long ways. Ray Charles taught Quincy how to read music. A blind man taught Quincy how to read music? Ray Charles was not always blind. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was different, you know, Stevie Wonder, he came home from the hospital blind. 
you didn't happen to go to, to uh, Ray's funeral, did you, James? No, I didn't get a chance to. Can you imagine that? That would have been just amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. What a tribute. The Dude is still the most Grammy-nominated album. And you had a huge part in all of that with Just Once and 100 Ways. I threw up a picture of you and me. Remember our shiny heads together? <laughs> and I, I threw up a picture on Twitter of you, you and I, and the comment was, our wives were saying, if those two can't behave just once, then Yamo be there and slap them 100 ways. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you stole 100 ways from George Benson. Well, you know, it's not thieving. It's just, you know, you just brought a little bit here and there. <laughs> you know. What's the story behind that? Well, actually, um, Quincy wanted George to record it, but George didn't actually hear it for him. And so once I recorded on Quincy's album, and it became um, a huge record, and, and I, it was, I won my first Grammy from that record. I was the first one to ever win a Grammy without having my own album out. Then every time I saw George, he would say, man, you stole my song. I said, no, you didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciated it, so, you know, the song goes to me. Exactly. Michael McDonald, Linda Ronstadt, Barry White, Kenny Rogers. Who haven't you sung with yet? Well, I haven't, I haven't sang with you except at the church a little bit. Just, uh, we <laughs> hung around a little bit. But if you, if you want to jump in on Do It Right Now, Drew, I'm, I, I got your back. Come on. I dare you. Since we're on the air, come on. I dare you. Back the train up, son. Back it up. <laughs> Can you woo, woo, woo? There uh -oh. you go. Can you woo, woo, woo? <laughs> I remember I came up to you and I said, you know, Mr. Ocean, I am just such a big fan of yours. <laughs> <laughs> the one guy that blew me away, I went and saw Mr. Bailey. I actually stood for a whole concert. I don't stand in concert. I'm too uh, lazy to stand for an entire concert. But I stood for an entire concert, and Mr. Philip Bailey came out and rocked the house. His notes hit the atmosphere, man. Do you follow his music at all? Oh, yeah, man, of course. But, you know, your notes got just as high. It was like you're saying, you know what, Philip Bailey, nothing. I can bring that. Yeah, but, you know, we were we were at this uh, uh, gig, and they were playing, right? And once he came off the stage, I realized, I said, you know what? You're the only guy that I heard that I can't get as high as you, but I tried to do it when he was singing, right? Yeah. And I said, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You remember the night Rick James performed right before James Brown and then Tina Turner came out to present you with the R&B Award? Right. And the winner is, and what did you hear? Rick James. <laughs> all, I heard was, all I heard was the word James. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, with that in mind, I just... Um, <laughs> Sat there. Well, yeah, I was clapping. And then my wife started um, nudging me. <laughs> James Brown and Tina, they start, you know, um, motioning to me to come up. <laughs> And it, it blew my mind, man. I didn't have a clue. Because Quincy told me I couldn't, nobody has ever won without having their own album out. And I told Quincy, I could care less about a, a Grammy, man. Come on, I don't even know I could sing good enough to be with you, so. Well, I think it all comes from uh, the time around the piano with your oldest brother, Henry, of course, being the minister of music for the state of Ohio and gospel music. You guys, y'all used to get around, uh, you and your siblings, all six of you, around the piano and work out the harmony parts for his arrangements. Exactly. He was a taskmaster. Take us back to those days. Who was fighting around the piano? Out of the six siblings, who who always got into fights? Oh, we well, none of us got along with nobody. You know how the <laughs> siblings are, rival siblings? Come on. You're not the only child in your family, are you? Uh, well, I think I am. Who had the biggest ego out of the six? Well, I don't know if my oldest brother had had an ego, but his position in the church and everything, he he just let you know by the smirk on his face that, yeah, I run this. 
<laughs> who just couldn't really get that note that they were supposed to get? Who had the who had the difficult time with the with hitting that note? Oh, in the family. Oh, my brother David. Now he he to this day he can't hear two planes crash above his head. <laughs> Those are the days I can imagine. All right, so you go from that. Think about this, James. You go from that to we are the world. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's crazy, huh? No, but before we are the world. Oh yeah, we are the world was before Thriller. Yeah. Uh, of course, you wrote PYT on Michael Jackson's huge hit Thriller. Somewhere out there with Linda Ronstadt, uh, off the animated feature, an American tale. You and Linda were nominated for an Academy Award. You and Dolly Parton nominated for another Academy Award for the song you did in Beethoven. Right. And, you know, we sang that, uh, me and uh, Dolly sang that at the Oscars, right? And the dog did something that it wasn't supposed to do, you know, at the end of it. <laughs> and that was funny. I... <laughs> I'll never forget that. You know, and he was trained very well, but with all those people and all that stuff was going around, he had to wait. Seriously, being up on stage can scare the crap out of anybody, you know. I hear you. Yeah. Having faith in God and confidence in yourself means that there's nothing that you cannot do. Who said that? My father. You know, he. You know, as a deacon and a Sunday school teacher, he's always tell us, you know, faith is the substance of things that are hoped for, but the evidence of things unseen. But he would get in my face and say, son, faith in God and confidence in yourself, and there's nothing you couldn't do. And he brainwashed us, and I believed it. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't know I could sing, though. What kind of relationship did you have with your father, James? He was strict. I loved him, but he was strict. But as I got older, I understood why. You know, because a lot of my friends end up, you know, in jail and all that kind of stuff, and I was more afraid of my father than I was the police. Yeah. A lot of black men today seem to be trying to do life without a father. I know, but see, that's, that's what... I've been in the gang intervention program for about 17 years now. And the main thing was that their fathers weren't there. And so they want to feel like they want to belong to something masculine, right? Hmm. And they just went down the wrong masculine road. Must have been a tough couple of years around 2001, 2002. Both, both your mother and your father passed away within a very short time of each other. You know what? It wasn't. Really? No. You know why? I didn't really know that God had prepared me for this. My mother, she lived to be 77. My father lived to be 82. And the Bible said, you, you hit 70, you made it. It's like a race or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, my father, he lived to be 80-something. So he found favor with God. But the thing was this. Me and my wife, we was on our way to Washington, D.C., and we just thought we'd stop in Akron because we were both from Akron, Ohio. And so I went to see my mother that night. And then, uh, you know, because she, she was in a rest home because she had Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, we saw her that night, and she was pretty good. She kind of remembered me. But the next morning that we came by, they had her in the, uh, you know, they said you know, she'd be back because, you know, they were bathing her. And so to make a long story short, we heard beep, beep, beep after a while, and people started running. And so one of the, one of the aides came down and said, you know, you need to, uh, call your, your your family because your mother is, is getting ready to pass. I said, no, you call them. I want to be with her. When I got there, she was in the tub, and they had um, people around her, some of the, the women and stuff, and some of them had tears in their eyes and stuff. And I said, Mommy, I got in my mother's ear, and I said, Mommy, the angels are coming to take you home, baby. They're coming to take you home. I did not know I was prepared, man. I didn't know. It, it wasn't sad to me. I, I didn't cry because... We come here to die, you know, but in the Lord is death, death, and resurrection. It's not like it's the end. You see what I'm saying? Yeah.
Yeah. So. You know, I was uh, talking to Larry King on the show earlier today, and I asked him if he was afraid of death. He said, hell yes. Are you afraid of dying? No. I mean, I'm not trying to be Superman. If a mosquito bite me, I'll cry. <laughs> so I'm not talking about that, Drew, but death, no. We come here to die. But see, when you're not in, when you're not in the Scriptures and you're not into the Lord, then it seems like it's a strange disease yeah. that you happen to catch. And, and you don't remember that everybody that comes here is going to catch that same, that same thing and have to leave. You know, one of your coolest stories is your marriage. You married your childhood sweetheart, been married for 36 years, just this past February. Is that right? Man, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it, that might be it. Is it 36 or 37? Never. 36. Yeah, it's 36. Yeah, you, you tell her I was right. Hey, Drew said he was right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I met my wife when she was five and I was seven. And we, we were just friends for a long time, man. And, and it's just that, um, and she came up in the Word, too. And um, we just fell in love. One day, you're playing with your old band, Revelation Funk, and Debbie says to you what? She said, I heard you was playing in Canton with the band. I said, yeah. She said, I want to go hear you play. I said, you serious? She said, yeah. I said, girl, if you go with me, go with me you'll be with me for the rest of your life. She said, boy, I don't want nobody to want you. <laughs> she went with me, and she's been with me for the rest of her life, and she's right here smiling now like. Yeah, what did she get into is what she's been thinking, right? What the heck did I get into? <laughs> He said, you were thinking, what the heck did I get into? Pray for me, Drew. <laughs> you know I have. You, you, know, said, you know I have. You know how many people are around the world are praying for, for your wife and my wife, James? Seriously. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. They look at us and go, man, who the heck married you? <laughs> uh, six children. Can you remember all their names? Or did you do like a, a George Foreman thing? You know, George's doctor said to him, if you're going to keep boxing, you better name your kids a name that would be easy to remember. So we named him George and George and George and Georgina and George. <laughs> well, I named all mine with a J. Jasmine, Jennifer, Jason, Joshua, and Jaya. Hold on. Say that again. Jason, Jennifer. Jane, J-A-H-N-E-E, Ja. Mm -hmm. Jane, Joshua, and Jaya. Man. You really got uh, hung up on that J.A. stuff ever since Yamo B. there, you know, the silent J and hallelujah and the whole thing. Right. There's no J in the Hebrew language. Never was and never will be. i got to ask you, uh, you and I were talking by the stage there at Rick Warren's church, and we got talking about different things, and we talked about conspiracy theories. Remember I said to you, Alex Jones, you said you, you liked his stuff? Yeah. Well, I tried to get Alex on the show today. <laughs> okay. Okay, but I couldn't get him because he was triple booked and he was very apologetic. He said to say hello, but I did get a fellow by the name of Jesse Ventura. Do you know who that is? Yes, I don't know him as well as I do Alex in terms of, not personally, but just in terms of the information. Right, right. Well, he's written a book called American Conspiracies. I think you should get that, James, because... Uh, because you got, you got a few ideas in your head, you know. The reason I got all this conspiracy stuff going on my show today is because you were on the show. No. Uh-huh. No. You, it's just that, you know, you understood what we were talking about, and you you know, you know, you know, you know. I know, I know, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of games that go, go around, man, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't pick them up. Yeah. You know, just like, the, uh, like I said, the building, it went down so fast, man, you can't. I mean, you have to be drunk not to know that that could never happen that fast. That would have to burn for a week or so, you know what I'm saying, or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no way, man. Who killed JFK? 
Well, you know. I think it was Malcolm X. You think it? <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just yanking with you. <laughs> nah, man, but um, you know, the, the thing is this. You get into the presidency, you have to be in an order, in one of the orders. And if you don't follow suit, I don't care who you are. Bye-bye. <laughs> Ask his brother Bobby. You've seen a lot of stuff throughout your life. Yeah, man. Any regrets? I mean, I'm talking like your life is over. Your life's not over, but, you know, you've, you've done enough time. No, but, but no, I don't have any regrets because whatever I went through, whether it was bad or good, it, it helped mold me into this old, bald-head man of 58 years old. May I just say that you have a very, very sexy head. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I wonder why you said that. <laughs> Where's yours? <laughs> You know, it looked like you were having a lot of fun at, at Rick Warren's church there. Well, you know, David Pack, that's how I got turned on to the church. David Pack and myself, and uh, you know, he was in the group Ambrosia. David Pack, myself, and Michael McDonald, we used to write together a lot. You know, so we, we'd go way back. And David called me, man, and said, man, you got to come down here and see this church. So we came down and saw Rick, and I just loved the way, you know, the church was ran and the whole bit. You know what I'm saying? I, I just loved it. I've never seen nothing like it. Well, you didn't have to have on no suits and all that stuff. You can just be comfortable, you know. I had sandals. I had them off. I was barefoot. I don't know if you noticed. You're, you're too busy staring at my wife. I noticed that. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> now you're getting me in trouble. Yeah, no, no. Hey, listen, tell me about Stan, man. We played it because Stevie K, who's Rick's assistant, his wife picked up a couple of copies for us, and we drove around the rental car. And Dude, that's a sweet CD. Oh, thanks. Uh, the gospel compilation? you got to be happy with it. Yeah, you know, Stand in the Light was written by me and Debbie Allen. You know Debbie Allen? I, I've heard of her. Yeah, she was on Fame and all that, you know. Yeah. And um, written at least seven plays that we did for the Kennedy Center. And um, we wrote Stand in the Light behind Katrina. How dare you? Talking about refugees. We're in the same, we'll be in the same country. You seem like a motivated fella you know you really do you seem passionate you seem convicted you seem motivated you seem in love it just seems like life is good man no that's an understatement that's life is great i mean you know have your ups and downs but the thing is man i've just been blessed to have my parents to bring me up in the word of god which is the bible which is the acronym for me for basic information before leaving earth mm -hmm. so so you know you know i've just been blessed man you know what i'm saying even with the downfalls and everything, because I've learned, you know, I've, I've learned yeah. from all, you know, of my mistakes and and just, you know, living in life and, and just being blessed to travel around the world and see and learn and observe things. Well, you're a pretty easy cat to get along with. Well, it's because. Oh, wait, maybe I should ask Debbie that question. Well, she'll, she'll tell you. I'm not a singer. Yeah. It's what I do. It's not who I am. Moses said, who shall I say? Send me. God said, I am that I am. My whole ego is knowing the God in me. Remember when Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath day, the homies wanted to kill him. Jesus said, you want to kill him for my work? Second what? No, we want to kill you because you say you and God are one. Jesus says, it's not written in your law that ye are gods, but are children of the most high. But the word gods was a small g. My whole ego is knowing God and that he's in me. That's the breath of life. We, did you notice your lungs never filled up in your mother's womb? So once you came out, he said, I breathe the breath of life into your nostrils, and you became a living soul. That's my ego. You know, you and I kind of got on the same page when we were talking about our frustrations trying to 
trying to follow Christ in a country and in a nation in North America where cultural Christianity is killing us. And the, and the church seems to have gotten in the way of, of this Jesus stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's, it's just a thing, man. It's, it's religion. Yeah. I'm into the Bible. I'm not, you know, I don't want to hurt my feelings, but I'm not into no religion. I was brought up in religion, Kojic, Church of God in Christ. Hmm. I'm not in none of it. Here you got one Bible, but you got all these little, 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 little words. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why are you laughing back there, man? <laughs> Why are you laughing, man? Don't laugh. I, haven't, I haven't heard that version yet. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> He's, you, little, little you didn't know you were Pentecostal was, speak, speaking the tongues there. The message. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, listen, first of all, thank you for the years of music. And I mean, not just music, but it had the stuff. Quincy saw the right thing in you. He picked it up quick, and he let the rest of the world get it. So way to go, Quincy. Way to go, you. And I guess I'm smart enough to know. I know you're going to deflect to God right away, so I'll do it before you do it. I'm thankful that God has brought you into this world because you blessed us with your music. But, uh, you know, he's blessed us with you. You are just a really unique cat. I like you. Thank you. I like you, too, man. Oh, stop. Tell me more. Well, the eyes are the ones of those souls. So when I was looking in your eyes, I was saying that you was a spiritual gangster. Ooh, we not what? <laughs> Break that one down. Uh, uh, James Ingram, you're the man. Drew, we're the men's. You got it. We'll talk again, okay? Okay, God bless you, man. Give my love to Debbie. Okay, so how how far are you from from the from the from the church, Saddleback? I live in Toronto, Canada. I'm oh, a, excuse me. Yeah, I'm a little far away. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so next time you're in Toronto, playing a casino up here, you come see me, okay? Okay, bro. All right, buddy. All right. We'll talk to you again. Right. James Ingram on the Drew Marshall Show. Have a listen to this song. You know it. I know you know it. It's he and Michael McDonald singing "Yamo Be There." Again, online at drewmarshall.ca.
thought about advertising your organization on the radio, but don't really have the budget for a long-term marketing campaign? Well, what if we gave you a show? The Drew Marshall Show is currently offering an innovative advertising concept for the small business owner or charity. With web stats and listenership at an all-time high, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk show is offering you an opportunity to partner with us one show at a time. Consider sponsoring one show and we'll introduce you to our listening audience for the day. Drew will mention your organization every hour during our four-hour show, including a live phone interview. We'll also post your logo and website link on our website for an entire month. If you're thinking about promoting a special event, product, or upcoming sale, or if you just want to test the radio advertising waters without a huge investment, then consider becoming a one-day advertising partner with The Drew Marshall Show. Go to drewmarshall.ca for more details or call Michelle on 519-942-0518. That's 519-942-0518. 